We are live. Coffee with the John season three, episode five. Welcome to the live stream of Coffee with the Johns, where we share strategies. We're sharing the news, headlines, things that are happening in the market that are going to affect the way you invest in real estate, the way you manage your portfolios, the way you look pretty much at the whole world. After this episode, you're not going to look at the world the same again. Um, was that too dramatic? A little bit? Uh, your host? Is that your common, your common sense again talking? <laughs> I'm your host, Jonathan Barbera, and with me as always is co-host extraordinaire, Mr. John, <laughs> a.k.a. <laughs> Fun Facts Bar. Um, and we, we, we got a lot to cover today. We have a lot to go over because the interest rates have, mortgage interest rates have more pretty much doubled. It's, uh, it's scaring the crap out of builders, uh, investors. A lot of people are holding the, pressing the pause button. They're not sure what to do, where to invest, where they're going to go. Uh, all of this, it's just, uh, it's a lot going on in the market. There's a lot of people doing what, uh, your boy Dave Ramsey calls fear porn. So we're going to cover a lot of the articles, a lot of the trends, a lot of the things that are happening. We're going to show you why so many people are scared and why so many people are panicking. We're showing, we're going to show you why it is that we're really not panicking and how to prepare. I mean, that's really the biggest thing is how are you going to be able to prepare, predict, and understand what's coming down the line, and how can you just not avoid losing everything, but also succeed and thrive in this uh, changing market, changing economy. So with that being said, if you're joining us live, make sure you join the chat. Let me know where you're listening from. If... Uh, if you have any questions, if, if you have any thoughts, opinions on the market, on what we're saying, participate. Uh, we, we're always reading the comments and uh, trying to get back to you uh, in a timely manner. So with that being said, Mr. John Barr, how you been? I've been absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Get a nice, like, hot summer breeze, no rain. I mean, this is it's great. The, the market's still doing what the market does. A little shaky, but uh, the stuff we've... We've sold, still been moving along just fine. Right. And, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into more details on that, on the the stuff that we've been selling, what we've been seeing ourselves. Because, I mean, we, we were worried, you know, we were worried about, and we still are cautious about how the market is. So to kind of jump into all this, we this week we listened to a presentation by a local economist in uh, real estate, especially in the real estate market. His name is Dr. Mark Dotzer. So he's, uh, many of you may know him. He did a presentation for Keller Williams and he went over a lot of information and his overall point of view on the market is, I would consider it to be pretty bullish. He's not worried about really anything that might happen. He's not, well, he's not short. He's not thinking short term. Right. He looks at historical data and just like, because he, he looks at it as what housing's meant for. It's meant for shelter, not meant to buy it, make much money in a year and turn around and sell it again or buy it and immediately rent it out. It's meant for like, you live there for three to five years, 10 years, whatever it is. Like you're supposed to buy houses to live in. Because you're going to be there for a while, not buy it because, oh, I'm, I'm going to stay here for another year or two, but I don't want to rent for a year or two. I'm going to buy a house and I'll turn around and sell it. Like that's not what housing's meant for. So, so he's got a longer term out view on it. So he's not that worried because, yeah, 
next six to 12 months, 18 months. He, he even says it. He even shows that like, yeah, prices might fall a little bit, but look what happens in two years after it starts, three years after it starts. He, he did a nice graph of like what the San Antonio price does, like average sales price compared to sales volume. And this this presentation was typically to a bunch of uh, real estate agents. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, sales volume drops by 20, 30%. But prices, I think it was a 2008, the average price was two thousand or 207,000. 2009, it was 201, so it dropped $6,000. And 210, in 2010, it was 210. So it's like in two years, it was already higher than it was in 2008. So it's already like it didn't. It, it I mean, kind of just dropped a little bit, and then it, yeah. And then by the time 2011 came around, it was 211. 2012, 223. 2013, 247. So like between 2008 to 2012, it was already 223,000. It had already gone up, to sixteen thousand dollars. And that's I think 10%. that that's the biggest point like uh, that I look at and am curious to get your feedback on is. We, we've watched a lot of people do these kind of presentations. We saw PBD uh, do one recently as well. My issue when they use the 2008 data is that, in my opinion, this isn't 2008. You know, when they looked at, look at San Antonio in 2008, it barely, you know, went down a little bit. So we're doing good. And it's like, well, San Antonio wasn't isn't now what it was in 2008 like but it wasn't have, the same in 2000 or 1990 or 1980 and it did the exact same thing the last four or seven right but this past this last time we've appreciated tremendously in 2008 leading up to it you didn't have that tremendous appreciation that we've had in the amount of people like we're, we're seeing a big shift in the overall market where more people want to move to texas from ever before before you had other states that were more appealing than texas you know, you even had people back in 2008, there were more people moving to California. You know, they were that was the place to be and all that. Now, Texas, Florida, they're the places to be. So you, we're having a huge influx of people. And, I, and I'm not saying that this justifies a market drop. I'm just saying, like, I don't think the data, you can use the 2008 data as a benchmark for what could or could not happen to San Antonio. I think there are different crises. I think the market was in a different place then than it is now. I think we're in a much better position now than we were. I agree. I agree. I think the where we are in San Antonio, where we are in Texas, I don't think that that data even matters, right? Because like you look at the market, you look at the Texas market. What is the biggest thing that we've talked about in previous uh, podcasts is that it's affordability. Texas, when you compare it to the coastal cities and everything. Is by far the most affordable place to live at, you know, and, and you have affordability, not just in housing, but affordability of living. You have a lot of the companies that they're following pretty much where the employees are moving to. So yeah. you have a lot of major corporations coming down to Texas. So that's going to be creating even more jobs, you know, so it's increasing the pay on the jobs it's increasing the salaries. So, I mean, you're looking at all those things that's like. When you look at 2008, I'm like, I don't think that even matters. You I mean, know? it's just what you can go off of. Um, and that's where say you have nothing else to base data. Like, otherwise, it's a prediction. I mean, you look at the history and then it says, well, it's not going to be the same thing, but it's probably going to be pretty close. It's mm-hmm. going to rhyme. Like, how has it done the last three, four recessions? And it's like, Texas, or especially San Antonio, has done tremendously better than even the other three major metros. It's like, we never boom as high. We never drop off as far. And you can see that with like, you go back and you look at several of the uh, market updates I've done, like what Austin's done. I mean, it was appreciating at 40% year over year for like several months in a row. And it's like, 
That is insane. So they're even more drastic than we are. And that's why Austin tends to boom more and drop off more. But I was talking with a a friend of ours who owns a company up in Austin and he's a a CPA tax background. And he's like, dude, every time I talk to somebody that's moving here, they're making 300 grand, 500 grand, 600 grand, million dollar salaries where he lives at. It's like people are still moving here and they're moving here with big salaries. And that's like, that's why prices have jumped like they are. Cause like people aren't just coming with cash from the coasts. They're coming with cash and salaries Yeah, to support that because there's job, jobs relocating here. Now I would not want to be living in like a coastal city right now because you look at, uh, I think it was the PPD that, yeah, I think it was him and his podcast that he did of like the states that lost population. Yeah. And it was like California, New York, New Jersey, Washington, Chicago, or Illinois was another mm-hmm. one. And uh, that is something that would worry me because you look at it it's like, yeah, California's prices have been booming the last couple of years, but they're losing population. Texas, he's been booming the last couple of years, but we're gaining population. There's nothing worse than a real estate market than losing population because you can build houses, but if people are leaving in droves, that's that's so, two headwinds. So one of the things that I think we should address first is this is and and this is why we do the podcast uh, to hopefully help you understand how to look at the news. It's not for you guys to listen to us and do what we say it's for you to not listen to anybody but to really become a researcher of the data you know really look down don't just look at the headline but go deeper on the headline because there's so many headlines that we see about there's a bust in the market coming you know the real estate market is in a bubble this and that and then you look at it and you're like where though you know when you start looking at the data it makes no damn sense with the data they're putting out on why the market is in a bubble. So do you think the real estate market is in a bubble? Like, why is it not in a bubble? Why do you think the real estate market is not in a bubble? Or is? What do you think? I don't think it's in a bubble. But we have had a very accelerated rate of appreciation these last couple of years. And the tax rates have, and I've mentioned this in the past, like tax rates haven't caught up to those because they lag behind a year. It's like, I think it is going, it's not in necessarily a bubble where where you're going to see prices fall 10, 20%. Given that the Federal Reserve doesn't go nuts, it can actually manage this inflation to an extent and doesn't have to go too far. Yeah. Um, it's like, there's always, what's the economist says, like, there's a 50% chance I'm right and a 50% chance I'm wrong. Uh, so that's the caveat is if inf- they can't get fl- inflation under control, but if they can, it doesn't have to get too crazy. Even with interest rates hitting five, 6%, I think you're going to be fine, but it's not going to come crashing down, but it isn't going to keep appreciating at 10% a year. I think there is going to be a, a couple periods where I mean, even for like all asset classes that things are going to just kind of level off for a while. Like we pulled forward a lot of earnings and appreciation in the stock market, in real estate, in pretty much everything these last couple of years. And now that they're trying to pull off and reduce the balance, all the overall money in the economy, that's going to kind of stable off and flatline things. But I think it is going to hit a, a couple of years, like to your point, like 2008, it's not the same thing. It's, it's not. We dropped down and then we went up almost like the next year. I think we could see it to where it levels off, maybe drops a little bit and kind of stays at the current rates once the things stop appreciating for at least two, maybe three years. So that's, you're looking at the real estate market, right? And that's what we were talking about, the real estate market. But kind of what happened with COVID, when COVID first hit, we had, we were having people ask us, you know, how is that invest, how is that affecting your investment uh, 
company? How's that affected you guys? And like we said at the time, well, right now, it's not. We don't know when this thing loops around how it's going to hit us, how it's going to hit real estate. And it hit real estate very, very nicely, right? It boomed the market, made everything go through the roof. So for investors, for- why they wanted that to happen. Yeah, yeah. They were pushing for inflation because they hadn't gotten inflation throughout the freaking, you know, since 2008, they never got the inflation they wanted. So they were pushing for the inflation. They definitely over, you know, they definitely got what they wanted. But my concern is more kind of going back to that premise of the pandemic is all the other things that are also happening in the economy that are not necessarily real estate related, but will affect the real estate market regardless. So Dr. Dotzer, he gave off uh, seven points that he's looking at that are most likely going to affect. So you have massive monetary policy and fiscal stimulus at the same time. You have defunding the oil and gas industry. You have unprecedented labor shortages. You have China in a secular decline. You have working from home. Number six was changing community policy strategies, uh, policing strategies. And number seven was Fed will raise long and short-term rates fast. So he's talking about seven things that they don't really have anything to do with real estate in itself, but these are all things that will affect well, the real I mean, estate market. Things like I'm talking about, like real estate isn't a cause. Right. Real estate is an yes. effect. Like real estate, oh, real estate prices are causing problems. Like 2008, real estate prices didn't cause anything of 2008. It was the lending against the real estate market that caused the problem. Stock market, that is different. It can have a cause and effect relationship, but effect, real estate doesn't cause anything in my mind. It's like, it's an effect because it, it, you can leverage it so high and that is what causes problems of the interest rates that are uh, involved, how much debt's poached against it, the underwriting of those loans. It's the lending against real estate that can cause issues. That's what 2008 was. So a lot of these things is like, oh, the housing market. It's like, no, you have to look at what's going on around the world and then look at what's that going to do. And that's why, like, for here in Texas, like, we have people moving here. Dresk, I think we were second only to Florida of number of people moving here uh, last year. I think the year before that, Texas was ahead. The number of job relocations, the overall policing strategies, like the energy production that can still come from this state. It's like there's a lot of things. Uh, he made a comment. He's like, um, I mean, the U.S. He's like, plenty of times. I mean, the U.S. has been in recessions, and Texas just chose not to participate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just started laughing. It was like, uh, that is uh, very, very true. I was like, hey, the U.S. is in a recession, but Texas, is like, nah, we're good. We're just gonna keep growing and doing our thing down here in the South. Um, so yeah, and and then we go back to real estate being local, right? So like one of the points that he brought up was San Francisco Chamber of Commerce surveyed uh, the people there that half of the people that they surveyed will be leaving in the next three years. That was crazy. That Like, that's a massive stat, you know? <laughs> and, and it was from the Chamber of Commerce of San Francisco. It wasn't like, you know, some random place. Like, you know, it doesn't help the Chamber of Commerce that half the population wants to leave San Francisco in the next three years. Yeah. You know, and they're leaving with money. Like, to your point, they're leaving with good salaries. They're selling their homes for a buttload of money. For now. Until yeah. Until, like, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, nobody wants to move here or live here. It's like, shit, that's not good. Yeah. So, and, and so you have those shifts that you're looking at, and those are the things that you need to be paying attention to. Well, just look at the jobs that San Francisco's lost. Mm -hmm. What was it? They lost Tesla. They lost Oracle. They lost 
else was it? Their HP was another one that moved to Texas. Like those three moved here. And it's like a lot of big, and like, those are just the big ones. Yeah. And I'm sure for every one big one, there's three to five small ones that have said, I'm done. I'm out. And move, and like, that was something that uh, I just saw a headline for an article that San Francisco uh, small businesses are, or downtown small businesses are struggling because tech workers aren't coming back to work. So like they're here, they got a coffee shop downtown next to like say the Salesforce Tower, and it's twenty percent occupied when it used to be ninety percent occupied. It's like your foot traffic's gone. Yeah. And that's what I think he's talking about, like the policing strategies of like, like nobody just wants to be in these downtown areas anymore. Well, and you have that along with the work from home as well. That, that they're, that's they're the still, other piece. you have so many companies that are still doing those hybrids of work from home. They're decreasing in office space. A lot of companies like it because their their overhead went down tremendously because now they need smaller offices. So even the companies have a big incentive to give their employees that option of hybrid work. So yeah, I can see how those downtowns get affected because it's like before you have everybody come into the office. Now it's like a fraction of the people are coming into the office. Which is crazy. I was thinking about this today. Like the, uh, like the Federal Reserve... And the U.S. government went too far with the fiscal and monetary policy the last two years. And that's the reason we have the problems we have now with the inflation is they went too far. That's why we have there's too much money flowing around, chasing too little goods. Every business is trying to expand and the U.S. economy is trying to go full throttle and expand and it's not doing it. Like we don't have an immigration policy to fill these jobs that uh, are open. And I'd look at the results like, man, how did that really happen? It's like, I don't, they used old data of what's going to happen if they don't pump that much money in. They're like, oh my God, everything's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. It's like, they didn't realize the, the technology that was there and how quickly it was able to adapt and shift to online remote work to get things done. Or like, you have those examples, like those tech companies and stuff it's like, hey, we can go work from home. And then they pumped all this money to all these people that were sitting at home and still had their full salary jobs. Yeah. As like they they were get they used old economic indicators and tactics to try to fix new world situations. Well, and, and it was like we didn't need all that. And that's and, why it kind of when we bring when I bring up like when they try to use 2008 and stuff like that as a reference, it's like use it with a grain of salt because it's a different market that we're in. It's a different economy that we're in. Like, I don't think the, I don't think the real estate market is going to react the same way. I don't think the world market is going to react the same way. I don't think things are going to be affected the same way. Like it, it were, what's that saying? Like history rhymes, you know, but it doesn't, it, it's not, it doesn't repeat itself. It doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Right. So it's like, yes, there's going to be something of the sort but it's not going to be exactly the same. So for everybody that's like thinking, oh, in 2008, this and this happened. So I'm going to prepare for that and that. It's like, well, no, that was 2008. You know, here we might have, we, I, I do believe that we are going to have a very big recession and a very big um, market correction. Uh, simply because like Dotser, he brought up some good points. And that's something that like why the Fed pretty much wants to or will cause the recession the recession to happen is they effectively need around a couple million people to be unemployed right now to go on un- un- like pretty much just be unemployed get fired the reason for that is because in order to stop inflation the way they look at it is they need to stop people from spending they need to lower demand 
if they lower demand, you're going to lower inflation, right? So it's we go back to the basic supply and demand. If there's too much demand for the supply, supplies go up. So if you can lower the demand, then supplies are going to come back down. Well, then it's going to cause that deflation. Oh, for sure. And that's one thing I've been mentioning is like, for real estate, like I'm looking forward to real estate not going up 10% a year, even 7% <laughs> a year. Because like it brings so many people that are chasing the money to our industry. And they create all kinds of problems for people that are trying. Sorry, the coffee's still a little hot. <laughs> um, it creates all kinds of problems for people that are going to be in the industry for the long term. Like we've been in this in for years. Like it's it's a passion for us. We we work in real estate, but like everyone's like, oh, I want to be a real estate agent because I see you can make a bunch of money. Oh, I want to be a real estate investor because I see you can make a bunch of money. It's like you're chasing the money. This isn't the industry for you. Right. And it's like, but it's allowed so many people for so long to get away with those tactics and rewarded them for it monetarily that they're staying in it and just like, well, I can overpay for this property because somebody else is going to overpay for it even more. Yeah. It's like, we need that clearing out of all of that garbage. And I mean, that's essentially what needed to happen for across all industries for some of these things that like, I mean, you look at in the crypto industries and um, several of like your big house flipping people, like your open doors uh, and stuff like that, that they've been allowed to grow their businesses to unprecedented or at a pr unprecedented speeds to unprecedented sizes for like, what are you doing? Like you lose millions of dollars every month, but yet you've grown your business to like 20,000 employees. Well, because they keep growing. I look at companies like open door, like a massive Ponzi scheme, because the only reason they grow is they raise the next round of funding to be bigger than the last one to keep them going. Like they're not generating the revenues. They're always negative. So the only way they can stay in business is by getting dumber investors to come in at a higher valuation. Well, cause there's just more money out there and people are <laughs> yeah. just like, I've kind of loaded up on safe bets and it's like, well, let's throw another 50 million at this company. Cause there's a chance that it might succeed and do well. But it's also, that's kind of like the, the West coast model where the tech model where it's like, Oh, look how many companies lost money. Amazon for sure was is a, a huge one. Facebook's another huge one that they lost money forever as they grew market share. But they, in my mind, it's like they were doing something revolutionary and new. Open Door and a lot of these other companies, like they're not doing anything new. They're just trying to take something old and turn it into something new. And it's like that's where I don't think it, it's going to work. But these people have been rewarded these last several years. Because so much money's been thrown into the market, they're able to go out and get it and raise it. And now you're having repercussions. Like the repercussions need to come from that because that money's being turned off. And that's where I think a lot of these places and a lot of these companies is like, and that allows newer, more sound companies built on better ideas that struggled up front to get funding to get ability to grow and expand. So let me <clears throat> let me kind of prove my case on why. <clears throat> I believe that this thing will get much worse economically and what that could possibly mean for real estate uh, in the long run. So again, going back to it, uh, he says like the Fed is pretty much looking for a couple million people to be unemployed to decrease uh, their spending habits, right? So you look at that and PBD put out a model that was, I, I considered it to be really good visual aid for those that are not like really looking at economics and everything like that. But he's like lower spending, uh, habits from people cause lower weight, uh, lower income for companies, lower income for companies 
cause layoffs, layoffs cause unemployment, unemployment cause lower spending, and it's just a cycle, right? Less spending, less income for companies, more layoffs, more unemployment. So he, Mark Dotzer, he put up an image of Superman trying to stop a speeding locomotive, right? Yeah. And everybody has seen that image. And he says, the locomotive is the U.S. economy. Usually, it should be running at like 60 miles an hour, nice and steady, everything's good. It got out of control. It's going too fast. It grew too quickly. It's getting out of control. So you have Superman, which is the Fed, coming in, trying to slow it down. The problem is, if you apply too much pressure, you're going to derail the train, right? Which is going to cause a massive problem. So just in my, again, my opinion, the way I look at it is every time the Fed has tried to do something, it's never really worked the way they wanted it. It's always overshot or didn't quite get there. Like they never really nail it because the economy is not something that you can just like work perfectly with some, yeah, you know, like, with some like, pliers and it's going to be like, oh, there it is. It's perfect. Let's it's leave it alone. It's like the, uh, <clears throat> the poor drug. Papa bears is too hot. Mama bears too cold. Baby bears just right. Like yeah. you find baby bear of the economy. It's like it's too hot, too cold. And that's, and that's not how the economy moves. The economy doesn't move. As, you know, like it's too hot. Okay, now it's perfect. No, it's like it's too hot. Well, now it just shot over to the other side. Then it shoots back over to the other end, right? Like it it doesn't work in a very well balanced way. So right now, the Fed was pushing for inflation. We got massive inflation. There's no, at the moment, there doesn't seem to be any end in sight to that inflation. We had JP Morgan, um, I mean, Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan, he came out and said how he expects by 2023 oil to be $150 a barrel. Like, that's insane. You know, like gas prices, let's say in Texas, they're $4, they're going to be at least $6 plus. By the time oil hits that, that's going to cost even more inflation. It's going to cost things to be more expensive, right? Because oil is how you transport everything. It's going to affect transport uh, transportation. It's going to affect a lot of things. So now the Fed is trying to raise interest rates. They're even talking about raising at a whole point now, you know, because they're really trying to raise interest rates to slow this down. What's going to happen, what I'm seeing is the fear in the market, right? People are not sure what this is going to mean. So they kind of make what the Fed is doing 10 times worse because well, they start preparing for the worst before the worst even happens. Well, yeah, that's what they want them to do. Okay, but that's what I'm saying. When you start preparing for the worst before the worst happens, then you kind of make the worst happen sooner. No, because if you start preparing for the worst, then like what takes oil prices up? Demand. Mm-hmm. If people are preparing for the worst, that means they're spending less. Yeah. So they're getting ahead of it. My thing on the whole thing of uh, this whole situation is uh, I was thinking about this is like, I still think it's like they're going full force on trying to talk the market down, yeah. scare the shit out of people to stop spending money, take that extra money that they have and like, Ooh, I'm gonna hold on to this just in case. And that's how they're trying to bring it down. Because you think about it, if it does, if they don't, aren't successful in slowing the economy down and people still spend, then they are going to have to raise interest rates to four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve 10%, 12% to get it. And now think about what that's going to do to the, some of the biggest assets on their balance sheets, oh, yeah. like real estate. And it's like, nobody's going to be borrowing money at that point. 
Nobody's uh, housing prices are going to be underwater. Commercial buildings are going to be underwater. Now it is going to be systemic across the whole thing. So they are trying to rise interest rates. You got all your big people. You got the fear porn all over the internet trying to scare people into stop spending to create a soft recession, not an abrupt stop because they will continue to rise interest rates to stop get ahead of inflation if they're not successful in doing uh, being able to talk it down. Yeah. So if they're able to do that, people stop spending, then oil prices won't hit $100 so a barrel. you think that that's going to work? You think that that's we're going to have I'm a not very soft recession? No, no, no. I'm not saying it's going to work. Like you that's, are saying That's what I think. That's you're, what you're they're trying to do. disagreeing with what I'm saying. You're saying that that's not going to happen. You're saying that's that right. what you're saying is going to happen. It's going to be soft. I'm saying that's what they're trying to do. I understand. But I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. It's like that's what they're trying to do. And if they're successful in that, then I think we're going to be What do okay. you think is going to happen? I have no idea. I understand you don't know what's going to happen. That's why I say, what do you think is going to happen? You think they're going to be successful in that? I, for me, it, it's too early to tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, the stock market's already off 20%. You've seen like crypto markets fall through the floor. You've seen sales demand, like everyone's stopping by and they're pausing and stuff like that. Yep. And like the dollar search points, what I like about his, like he gives way more facts and data and actual points versus any headline news, even PPD's 100%. podcast, it's like, yeah, but you gave us just like, oh, this is what these people are saying. Okay. It was very, yeah, his presentation was very and dense like, and, and that's data. where I yeah. was looking at what else, why would Jamie Diamond, Facebook, all these other people say things like this? It's like, because they have a vested interest in saying like, we need this to stop because if it doesn't slow down, we're going to go, it's going to get really bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Diamond says like, there's a hurricane on the horizon. We don't know if it's Category 1 or Superstorm stand, uh, Sandy or whatever it was. Yeah. As like, so it's like trying to talk it out like, you guys don't understand. Like, it's not bad yet. And if we don't get this stopped, this is going to get much, much worse. So like. So, so I think. You know, you would definitely do very well at being a politician where you give an answer without giving an answer. So that's very good on your part. I, I'd um, say it's more of an I economist. Still, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, well, an economist, that's why they're 50% wrong because they still make predictions. You know, it's just that, exactly. They make predictions, They, you know, but you're not making a prediction. You're just saying what could possibly happen on each scenario, but you're not really saying what you think will happen. Like what I'm saying is like based on, on what I've seen, every time the Fed tries to do something or every time the government tries to intervene and force something in, in either direction, they usually fuck it up and it goes to the extreme on either side. So right now, they wanted inflation and went through the roof and it's going to keep rising. In my opinion, inflation's not done. Like we're nowhere near being done with inflation. Right. Well, so I agree. I agree with that statement. So, like, so it's also I think they want that inflation. It's like they're that's why they're not raising it too fast. Is like if they wanted to stop it, they could stop it immediately. But that would be even worse. But it's also I think and, and just like I've said this in the past, like they want to force inflation. They need it. We've gotten for 10, 12, 14 years, we've had two percent or lower inflation. Yeah. And it needs two to three percent every year. Yep. So it's like they're catching up for over a decade's worth of low inflation. To wipe away the old debt, when you understand how the central banking system and everything works, like they have to have inflation to wipe away old debt to keep the economies growing. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you have a reserve currency or an economy like U.S. has. It's like, and they haven't got that. That's why they're wanting inflation. Everyone's talking about it and stuff like that. I think the Federal Reserve is kind of like, no, no, no. We need all of inflation because we pumped in so much debt these last years, and like it's not risen enough to inflate away old dollars. We need money in the system to inflate away a lot of this old debt. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that creates massive uh, polarity in the social classes. 
Right. Because like they pump all that money in and now you got people that don't know what to do with money, have money, and they spend it and it all rises to the top again. But it does raise asset classes and then for a good for a while it keeps things moving along. Well, and that time. that was something else that dots are brought up. Um trying to look at it on the notes, but like he said something that we have Americans right now, as far as their health household uh savings, we're record highs from what it's ever yeah. been before it's like 40 trillion or something like that 40 trillion seven trillion no so we're, we're around we're used to having about one and checking savings accounts and it rose to seven yeah it's some um, I, I just saw it damn it but anyway but you're seeing people like that was one of the things that we've seen recently is people are taking vacations like they never have before Everybody's going to Europe, everybody's spending money, everybody's like just living life, you know, and we're starting to see that. That's like, that's the stuff that the Fed wants to stop. It's like, you guys are spending too much money. You're buying too many things. It continues to inflate the market. But then going back to my point where I'm saying is like where I see the issue is that you start creating the fear in the market and you start creating this fear. And it doesn't usually like go like, oh, we're a little conservative. Let's just slow this down. It usually goes from fear to panic, you know, and the panic is what throws things out of control. Like, that's my point. It's like when panic hits the market, that's when we're going to see these things get tremendously worse and the Fed is going to lose control of what they're doing. And then they're going to have to course correct, so go back to buying mortgage debt and going back to buying all these things because I think it's going to be out of control. But that out of control part is what worries me is that we don't know how long that can last. That could be a 6, 12, 18 months, 24 months out of control part that could cause havoc throughout the market. That then we go back to what happened to 2020. Everything shut down. How long has it taken for supply chains to pick back up and for things to get back up and rolling? And then you add inflation to that and you add all the market issues that you had to that. And it made things even harder. In construction, we still are seeing and feeling all these problems. I mean, you you had a... Um, what was it, an email or something uh, have, from yeah, CPS? I have, I have it right here. Uh, yeah, it was an email from CPS. And uh, read it. Uh, and it says, good morning. We wanted to provide an update on our material watch list. Currently, we are closely monitoring the following materials for impacts to project uh, for impacts to project schedules. This is our point when it comes to like, real estate, like still drastically undersupplied of property. Currently, the largest risk to CPS energy projects, is, they give a list of like electrical equipment of just like 75 KPV pad mount transformers, like a whole bunch of stuff that like, I don't even know what it is, um, but it's stuff that housing needs. Currently, the largest risk to CPS energy projects is a secondary base enclosures. As we have exhausted the current stock of this material, this shortage has not yet resulted in work stoppage to five ongoing subdivision construction projects. However... We will not be able to supply power to approximately 800 new home sites by the end of July and a total of 1,600 home sites by the end of August when materials are expected unless additional alternate materials can be found. So that's saying that's 1,600 new construction houses here in the San Antonio area in the next 30 days that they cannot bring onto the market because they cannot find the equipment to right. give power to these places. So that's another that's another problem that it's like it's a good and a bad thing. It's like, hey, it's a good thing for housing prices because we have a lot of people still moving here 
And that's going to push up the existing home prices of the certain areas, even at these higher interest rates. Bad news is like they can't find the materials to supply these things. And you think about the chain that goes down. It's like, that's another reason, like they're trying to slow this down. They need to, they need to pump the brakes on demand to where it's like, they need those layoffs. Like you talk about to people Mm -hmm. quit spending money. So all these supply chains can get back caught back up with material. The issue that I see is, is going back to it is the economic machine, especially the, the American economic machine is a big freaking machine. It's not something that you can just slow down and speed up whenever you want. So then you have like, my thing is my point is always that it's that the amount of time. So you're slowing it down, right? It's most likely going to overcorrect and slow down way too much. And then for you to ramp it back up, like you're slowing it down when we still haven't fully recovered. Right. Like we still have, again, what I was saying, like we still have supply chain issues. We still have delivery issues. We still have trucking issues. Like we still have all these problems oh. in the market that they haven't really been resolved. And like even just the shipping from China, from other places, we still have those issues. Well, that's just said that you're saying it hasn't recovered. The problem is it recovered too much. No, it inflated too much. It didn't recover. Like the supply chains haven't recovered fully. Because it, 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 it accelerated too fast. Exactly. As I said, it's so, not that it recovered too quickly. As like the end consumer recovered way too fast to where the supply chains haven't been able to. Uh, and, but that, that's, that's what I mean. Like those companies haven't been able to catch up and adapt to this. And now you're going to add all these recession fears and all these problems. These companies are probably going to still slow down even further where they're going to be like, actually, we may not take on more truckers because we don't know what the hell this is going to be. We're seeing it with builders where they're starting to slow down their building. They're starting to not start as many houses because they're worried that they're not going to be able to sell them. So it's that fear in the market that I feel causes the recession because, and it causes it to be even worse because people are not sure what's well, coming. Yeah, that's what they want though. But they're not laying off people. They're not stopping hiring. They're just not. They are hiring. stopping they're hiring. They're not hiring as much. No, there's a lot of the. What was it? At, um, Merrill Lynch, I think it was. Uh, there's a few major companies that have started doing some layoffs. Uh, even Facebook that they went down from hiring 10,000 people to now they were going to hire 6,000 and they might even lower that later. Uh, there's other companies that are already starting to look at performance, end of year performance to see if they can start laying off people based on that. Yeah. Because they're all starting to prepare and they're starting to worry about what's going to happen. My thing is like kind of what we talk about. Yes, you should prepare. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Yeah. But the problem is like when you're talking about such a massive economy, that preparation is going to cause a massive problem to the whole economy that it's they're going to get the slowdown that they want, but it's going to be much worse than they think. It's not going to be that gradual slowdown. It, 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 to my thought is like, mm-hmm. OK, they 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 kill demand. Like what they're, all they're trying to do is kill demand on the end consumer. Yeah, that's what they need to do, because I found that sh- thing they were talking about, because I have the dollar thing pulled up, where the U.S. net worth increased from $110 trillion to $150 trillion in the last 24 months. The average checking account balance sits between, it normally sits between uh, half a trillion and one trillion. Right. And now it's at $4 trillion. That's just cash in people's checking accounts. Mm-hmm. Like, that is what the, and that's why the Federal Reserve is rolling off at a billion a month, or almost a hundred billion a month of cash pulling money out of the market and stuff like that. And it's like some of these, this, these necessary places. I mean, just like we're saying in real estate, it's like, I want the market to slow down so I can do my business and catch up. Right. And it's like these companies like trucking companies, supply chain companies, like, I don't think they're going to stop. It's like, no, like that we want it to slow down because 
it's going too fast and I cannot hire people to up to keep up with the demand and that's going to crush us. I want things to slow down so I can stable off and then grow from there. That's not trying to get smaller. Yeah. And it's like, I think they're just trying to like, no, like a trucking companies is like, I need people to be truckers. So as demand and orders get canceled, the need for truckers is going to go down, but it's not like they're going to start laying them off because demand is going to just plummet through the floor. As like, that's where I think they're trying to get things to do. They're trying to get it back down to normal level. So here, here's an article that I had. Um, are home builders too pessimistic is the title of the article, right? And one home builder from Charlotte says, this recession is looking like and feeling like a big, long five-year depression. Even Austin, no home buyer can resist Austin, right? Has a home, uh, home builder declaring. Sales have fallen off a cliff. We are selling a third of what we sold in March and April. Uh, the new home market is particularly sensitive to rising mortgage rates, and builders want to ensure that if they build it, someone will buy it. And builders are likely to respond to the decline in affordability and cooling demand by building fewer homes. This seasonally adjusted annual rate for May was 696 thousand new home sales may new home sales rate is below the actual number of 2000 of 21 home sales which were 771 so that's about a six percent drop uh but that says about how terrific 2021 was and how bad 2022 is yeah also the annual rate of new home sales in may was 10 percent higher than the rate in april Suggesting again, new home sales are not in free fall, just not as good as last year's. Yeah, it's like Crimea River. You didn't sell as many homes in so, May as you did in March and April when things were when you've been raping the the profits and rewards these last two years. Because um, like, dude, like, <laughs> I was talking to a home builder that we I sold a new home earlier this year, and the guy's like, oh yeah, every week we're just raising it ten thousand, ten thousand, ten thousand, ten thousand, ten thousand dollars more. Yeah. Like they're just killing it with these commissions. It's like the mortgage the uh, mortgage industry in four, five, six, seven, and eight. It's like, oh, they were just raking in money because they're doing the liar loans and all this other stuff. And it's like, and all of a sudden demand fell the floor, and they're like, oh man, I lost it. Like that's yep. your fault for not realizing, yeah. What you were, you weren't doing anything special. Like the, there was this and a inefficiency or a offset that's like you were able to get a bunch of cash. You weren't increasing your business. There was just a huge demand that you were able to reap rewards of, and you didn't see that. It's your fault that you went and spent that money thinking it was going to continue. Yeah. So like home builders, oh, we're seeing a third of demand. Like, okay, why weren't you prepared for that? Back to what you historically were selling in 17, 18, and 19 not using 2021 thinking that was going to continue and like well and that and that's where i think like this article it, this was actually a a pretty good article that we read um i read from housing wire all these links that we're going to provide them on the on the below in the description after this episode is over so you can check out the articles but when you look at the fear and this is what we go back to before when people when you're reading if you're just reading headlines you're going to freak the hell out but when you start actually analyzing the data, like they're talking about the housing market is crashing, sales are dropping, all these things. Yes, when you compare them to 2021, it looks terrible. But 2021 was an insane year. Yeah, prices were up 20%. Like, exactly. Like, like, inventory was below one. You, like, you couldn't, you can't compare it to the best year in history. 
You understand? You got to compare it to the overall average. And when you start looking at the overall average, the market is still good. The market is still strong. But what's the problem? Like I, I was just reading the quotes from these big builders. They're all worried. So just because it dropped from last year's highs. So it's like if they're worried, they start building less. They're saying we're not really having an issue with labor shortages anymore because we're just not hiring as many people. We're not hiring as many laborers. We're not building as many houses right now. So they are starting to slow down because of the fear of the market going back to normal. Like it's not even cooling off where you're saying people aren't buying houses. No, they're just not buying them at the rate they were buying them in 2021. That's all it it's is. Like it's trying to normalize. Like it's still yeah. we're still sub three months of inventory, and in a healthy market, it's supposed to be between five, four and a half to six, depending who you listen to. It's like we're yep. still drastically and, undersupplied. And you're looking at the you know at interest rates, right? Interest rates are near six percent. Uh, they're really high. People are freaking the hell out. But when you really start high. looking historically, like before 2020 and everything, like the rates pretty much averaged out between four and seven percent. Like those were normal interest rates and the markets were fine. And really people were, you had your net Westerns of the world always doing 30 deals a month, yeah. you know, and that was pre pandemic. So people were buying houses. People were able to afford houses. The well, finances were different, but where I see, so when people just try to single out one little thing, I'm like, well, no, you know, interest rates, they went up to 6%. Oh my God, what's going to happen? Everything's going to hell. Right. It's like, well, it's not just that interest rates went up to 6%. It's that home prices also have gone up ridiculously. So now when you, and I, I did a post a while back that people were like, you know, they weren't, they never saw interest rates like that. That it was like, if you had, a, if your target was a 1200 a month payment at the time, you could afford, let's say it was like a $220,000 home or $250,000 home. Now, with the interest rates being what they are, now all you can afford is a hundred and seventy-five thousand dollar home for that same monthly payment. So, by the way, huh? You said no. Before you used to be able to afford a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar home for the monthly payment. Now, with interest rates said, going well, up, you said one fifty. That's what I was like. Oh, I said one fifty. <laughs> yeah, you said one fifty. Two fifty. I was like, wait. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. when you look at that, now you are able with the same monthly payment, you're able to afford a home of a much lower price. The yeah. problem is the prices that home that was worth 250 is not now worth 175. Still it's still worth 250, maybe 265 right now. So you're looking at people that we talked about this before. People don't care about the price, they care about the mortgage. They care about what is that monthly cost going to be. If they can afford it, they'll buy it. It's one of those like somebody I remember them arguing with, "Oh, people care about price and stuff like that." I was like, yeah. "Okay, people care about price because that's what the bank told them they could afford." That's what they care about. The bank is the one that cares about it. They might not directly care like, oh, the price, the price, the price. It's like, yeah, because that's what the bank says they can afford via the payment into their finances. Like, it's still about the payment. Right. For sure. And it's one of those that uh, we were talking with somebody. He's like, all right, when you go from March, April to May, June, mortgage rates were, I think, in the fours in, or like three fours, and then they went into the five sixes. That means the payment jumped and for every 1%, I've said this before, when for every 1% an interest rate goes up, a payment goes up 12%. Yep. 
Right. The housing, the housing payment just got 12% more. So if it went up 2% in two months, that means that house just got 24% more expensive. And now that person can afford less a house. And in March and April, things were still absolutely booming. You had buyers fighting over property, trying to get things and just really going after each other. And you were getting beat out, get beat out, getting beat out and just getting beat up. And all of a sudden you start seeing interest rates rise and the house that you can afford starts going down. Those buyers are used to looking at $250,000 houses. And now they're saying, oh, you can't afford a $250,000 house. You can afford a $175,000 $175, house. That is a huge drop in quality. Yeah. If you're dropping $5,000, $10,000, not that bad. But when you have to jump from getting beat up trying to buy your $250,000 house that you want, and all of a sudden your realtor says, oh, you can no longer afford that. You can afford these $175,000 houses. You're used to looking at these $250,000 houses for two, three months trying to buy one. And all of a sudden it's like, mm, you can afford this. And it's like, Really? I'm getting beat up. I'm tired of losing out on properties. And now I have to get this lower quality house drastically. It's like, I'm just, I give up. I'm done. So now to that point, I give up. I'm done. What do they do? They go rent. They go rent. And if you look at like our last market update, I think every single major metro was up triple digits in a, a commercial or multifamily unit construction. San Antonio is up 1,200%. In one year, as far as number of five plus unit permits pulled. Yep. Every major metro. We saw that. I mean, we went to Denver recently, right? That was insane. And, and what blew our mind, Denver is considered like one of the most expensive cities to live in. Yeah. The amount of apartment buildings being built in Denver was insane the amount of cranes built, apartment buildings being built like in the middle of nowhere heading towards the airport where like there was just nothing there you were telling me how you've gone back to the, you you know you haven't been to go there in like Denver. 2013 when i first yeah. got my job and it was like there used to be nothing between the airport and downtown now it's like there's housing developments and uh cranes that were placed like it was insane the number of and it was apartments right lots and lots so, and lots of apartments so here's the point that i'm looking at as even as you're saying that is that we have, we go back to the issue that we have, which is affordability, right? So you have mortgage, your mortgage has gone through the roof. In Texas, uh, even though we're energy and all this dumb shit that they try to fucking feed down your throat, which is full wow. of shit. Wow. How many passwords can you drop in one sentence? Do you want, are we testing? <laughs> Start a timer. Like, you, you, you <laughs> like four of them right well, there. Well, it's, it's just like, annoying because it's like, oh, Texas, we're so energy dependent. Get the fuck out of here. We are. And my energy bill has doubled this summer alone. And not just mine, but almost everybody that I know in their apartment building, except you, that you've, you hijack your neighbors. But uh, whatever. <laughs> but you look at those things. So energy costs has gone through the roof. Grocery bills have gone through the roof. Gas has 7%. gone through the roof. Yeah, 7%. When, that, I love seeing when economists talk about like the, the national... Oh, uh, groceries have gone up 7%. Like... Seven percent on what? Well, if you if you substitute all this other stuff for this garbage, it's only seven percent. Yeah, you know my ass at seven percent. It's gone up a lot. Like I, I we ran our grocery bill just from month to month. We're buying the same stuff. It's gone up almost forty percent on grocery bill. You know, and we're buying the same things. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, if only we but were we're buying all the the fancy cauliflower rice, pizza crusts, Again, and all. <laughs> yeah. So you look at all those things. And it's like affordability is being a real problem, which is why why it is that you and I feel so confident with Texas is because even though all these things are going up, Texas compared to California, Seattle, New York, you're still so much more affordable. 
And we're having these massive companies are moving down here and paying the higher wages. So you're getting those higher wages that you probably were still getting those wages in California, New York. The difference is that money didn't go anywhere over there. But you come down in Texas and you have money left over now at the end of the month. You know, so we're starting to see those are the things that we're seeing as far as like, how is the real estate market? The real estate market in some areas are going to really suck. In other areas, they're still going to be doing very good. You know, but you have that issue. Like we we recently wholesaled at home. ARV was 140. That home was a dump. You know what I mean? Like it, it was a house that was like, holy crap. And the guy is an owner finance investor. That's why he's able to make that work and everything. But we looked at it and that was 140. And that's at a mortgage payment that some people can't afford. You know what I mean? Like he was saying, like even owner finance, he was going to owner finance it out for like probably like 1200 for a $140,000 home that's like not in amazing conditions. So you're looking at that for a lot of people. It's like you have that, you have rising groceries, you have rising gas prices, you have rising electricity in the hottest summer we've had in I don't know how long. Like it's causing an issue for a lot, a lot of people. And now what's the next issue that we saw last year that we're no longer seeing now? People can't even refinance. Because before you were refinance, you were at 2%, 3%. It made sense to refinance. Right now, you're refinancing and you're refinancing at 6%. So those people that are struggling, I think there's going to, we're going to start seeing a high rise in inventory. Oh, I agree. And that's the same, like, especially next year when uh, taxes readjust because prices are still up. Explain that because you made that point before. And I think it's an excellent point that people need to understand. Like, why is that going to affect it? So. The way Texas taxes work is they only ad- Texas taxes work. Yeah, um, is they adjust the following year based on the prior sales. So, like, so for an example, in twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one, prices rose like eight percent. Not, I mean, it's more than normal, but not as crazy. So those taxes, so they assess the house on January first of twenty twenty one. They say the house is worth X. It's gone up 8%. Those taxes set in and certify in July. Well, the escrow accounts for your mortgage do not adjust until the following year, usually around like March timeframe. So that takes us into 2022 Mm. is adjusting for the tax increases from 2020. There's a two-year lag period in that. Now... 2021 comes along and they assess value of January 1st, 2022, 20%, 25%, 30% increase in your tax basis. So now that jumped your, your taxes drastically. And that doesn't certify until I think it's right around this time frame that those taxes certify. Now taxes come around, they're due in October of this year. And all of a sudden, the bank goes and pays the taxes for what the assessed value was of January 1st, 2022. And all of a sudden, your the payment went up 20, 30%, or the that value gone up 20, 30%, and your escrow goes negative. Well, July comes, or March comes around of 2023, and they assess your mortgage, and they go, ooh, we're drastically short. We need to get ahead of this because they need to at least three months ahead. So we're going to take your payment from... 1500 and we're going to take it to 1900 yep. to fill in that escrow gap. $400 jump just like that. 
Well, now what's that going to do is like people are going to be like, man, what the hell? Okay, okay, I'll, I, I can eat that. Uh, I'll, I'll figure it out. I mean, it's put a lot of stress on them, but they'll figure it out. Well, now it comes around to 2023 after another year of, let's say it's not 20%. It goes down to 15%. They do that same scenario again. 2024 rolls around when they assess for based off that value. And that's when, the, oh, payment just went up another three. Instead of $500, it went up $300. Your payment in two years just in, went up by like, what, 60% mm-hmm. to fill in those gaps? That's where it's really going to hurt people. Yep. And that's where I was thinking like around 2023, uh, summertime into 2024, that's when you see a lot of people that have bought in these last several years, last five years of people just like, or the ho- first time home buyers that bought houses that didn't realize the repairs that go into these things. Yeah. And like, and they bought a house, say it was like, Oh, I bought a flipped house and Oh, because I'm, I was fighting for these houses, the sellers didn't have to repair anything. Like you want the house, buy it. It's, it's that's, I'm not going to fix all these things. Yeah. And now they got to fix these things over time, draining their budgets. And then the payments now gone up almost double. It's like, I, I can't afford this house anymore. I, I'm not getting paid 40% more. I'm getting 10, 15% more, but not 40. And that's that's when you're gonna definitely start seeing those, especially the, those migrations from the coastal cities and stuff like that. When those taxes start coming in and start hitting there, because for them well, it's gonna be cities even are completely bigger. different. What do you mean? Because their tax rates are significantly different out there. Theirs are more based on price. That's why California homes are about two two million bucks, and that here the same house is an eight hundred thousand dollar house, mm-hmm. the same payment. Their taxes are way different out there because we don't have a state income tax. They do. So their taxes aren't going to be drastic. It's the price. That's why prices over there swing so much more wildly. Or here, and my, I've had this kind of a opinion that that's why our housing market's more stable is because our taxes are attached to our homes, and they are a lot harder to shoot through the roof and shoot down because the cash flow that you can rent your house for is more stable because you don't get eight nine hundred dollars in that spread. Right. So that's why it's like it might not be because of taxes out there because their tax rates are are significantly different than ours here and this is and this is also going to be a problem for those homeowners that are like all right let's you know things are getting crazy let's just stay still we're fine we have this home and then all of a sudden your mortgage the your mortgage company comes back and says hey you got to pay us an extra three four hundred dollars because your taxes went way to hell up and you've been staying still not doing anything and now all of a sudden you're negative well insurance rates and you got insurance rates in those too that they're going up as well so like those payments are going to get very 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 expensive and you can't refinance out to a lower mortgage rate because one people like they're not known for being financially responsible saying like hey you can afford a two hundred fifty thousand three hundred thousand dollar house that's 40 percent or 45 percent your debt to income people go by try to squeeze out a three hundred ten thousand dollar house yeah well yeah can you can i get to 46 percent because i really 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 want this house and it's like, well, you're doing it, but you're stretching your budget and you're within the laws. Like That's where it's going to get very painful. And uh, that's where I think inventory is going to come onto the market. But n- as long as there's people f- coming behind that can, because as long as housing prices haven't fallen, somebody might have been able to appreciate 10% because that might be what it costs to sell the house uh, on the open market. And somebody comes behind as long as interest rates aren't. That's where I say like if interest rates continue to climb and they cannot get this under control and rates start hitting above seven or like above six and a half, seven, eight, nine percent, that's when you're going to start having huge problems is because now that's really going to start weighing down. That's why I think they're trying so hard right now to like almost begging them. He's like, please just stop spending money. Yeah. Please look at all this stuff that's bad. Look over here. Look at all this, all these headlines, how terrible it's going to be. Just chill. Yeah. 
to let things the supply chains even out because and right that, now it's and, just and we too see much that man. we definitely see that with them they like again they've been trying to talk the market down they've been trying to talk people from spending and it seems to have had the opposite effect it's like your dad telling you not you can't do something and you go and do it anyway just well, because also, you want to do it because like this summer the amount of traveling people have been doing the amount of traveling they've been doing in europe buying shit going places expensive trips it's insane it's insane the well, amount of traveling of the, people for me i look at it like man i should go buy all this stuff now and backstock it before prices get more expensive yeah so it's like I'm spending more money to try to get ahead of where prices are going to go. Yeah, and it's like the same thing with the freaking TP shortages. It was like people were like, oh my god, I might run out of toilet paper, so I'm gonna go buy it all and hoard it. And it's oh. like people aren't. <laughs> I like, thought you meant like actual TPs. I was like, who the fuck is buying TPs? <laughs> <laughs> How did you go up and we're talking about you the economy? You said the TP shortage. I picture like an actual TP. <laughs> That's where you went. Yeah, toilet paper shortage, TP shortage. You went to Cowboys and Indians. You went back in time. Like, who the hell's buying TPs? Oh, a thousand years. You're just like, well, I'm going to go back that far. Or not a thousand years, wow. but like, Jesus. Well, uh, but say toilet I, paper, okay? It has an actual name. Too many syllables. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but then that is a good point, right? Like you're seeing people even create worse inflation because they're going... They're right now, they're like, let me buy these things while they're cheap because they keep hearing and seeing that prices are going to keep going up. So let me buy, let me prepare, let me stock up. So it's like you're kind of driving the price up faster. So it's like one thing I just think of, I just thought of this. The money that was printed is still in the hands of irresponsible people. The money has not made it to responsible hands yet. What does that mean? So you look at somebody like ourselves, like our Airbnb and stuff like that. Yeah. We're getting income from that Airbnb, but we're not turning around immediately going out and spending it either. We're just holding it. it it's sitting idle. The velocity. You, of you didn't buy a Lamborghini? Out. No, I did not go out and buy a Lamborghini. And go hashtag hustle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just yet. Um, and then go out and spend it. It's like yeah. the money has not, because that's what the velocity of money is. What's too high right now? Mon there's too much hand money changing hands between people that aren't being responsible with it and just holding on to it. Yep. So that is like, there's too much money in irresponsible hands, and that's what's keeping this demand going, is people going on these vacations, going crazy, instead of like, dude, how about instead of spending money, you contribute to an IRA that you haven't done. It's like the average savings, like people mm -hmm. start contributing to their company 401ks to like 37 years old, or something like that. It's like, how about you take that money, and you put it somewhere that you have you've been neglecting the last several years yeah bitcoin but they don't do they don't do that yeah. they still go out and they go buy cars they go buy all this stuff all this consumer products because that is the american way it's the it's the consumerism like yeah. that is the problem it's like it's too much money in irresponsible hands and it hasn't made it to responsible hands yet and their federal reserve is now has to come in and pull that stuff that's well, what ppd it, said he's like these next several years he's like this is where great wealth is Mm -hmm. is can be made if you're smart actually provide real value and don't go spend it on stupid shit you can make generational wealth because he's like 40 percent of all the money in the u.s economy that's ever been printed has been printed in the last uh two years right so that money's out there flowing around in people's hands and it's jumping hand to hand to hand to hand and if you're smart you can make sure a lot of that money that's just jumping around can end up in your bank account and if you don't spend it throw it out to other stupid people you can build a business and you can build assets you can build reserves you can do all those things and make sure some of that money ends up in your pocket and not just keep spreading around and because it's going to end up in responsible hands yeah it's what it always, always. does it always. always ends up in people that's just that are business owners the, the problem is that what you're saying 
is the the issue that we discussed at the last podcast is when you talk about responsible hands, you're most likely talking about the rich, yeah. right? Because that's stupid. No, I, they're rich for a reason, right? So the problem is that what we talked about is that we're going to start seeing that gap between the rich and the poor, especially during these transitions, get even wider. Well, I was saying like the political, the polarity between social classes is going to continue to yep. go further. And and that's what politicians are going to be catering to. They're going to be catering to like, oh, but look how broke you are. We're going to help you. We're going to give you this. We're going to give you that. And it's like, that's not what's going to solve any of the issues. What's going to solve the issues is that you start taking personal responsibility for your finances and you start understanding that's like, hey, you know, we kind of live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, we have a little bit of a savings account because we had all these child tax credits. We got all these stimulus. We had all this working from home so we didn't have to travel. We got maybe a pay raise. So we got all this. Instead of throwing it on a freaking European vacation that we pretty much can't afford, like, why don't we do something smarter with that money? Why don't we invest it? Why don't we even just... Keep it in cash. I mean, when something like this happened, a lot of things are going to go on sale that are going to be great to buy as far as investments and, Bitcoin. you know. Yeah, Bitcoin. Um, that's, still, that's still a thing, guys. Um, so I think you talk about a very excellent point that is where we try to help people the most is get financially educated. You know, don't stick your head in the ground and pretend that everything's going to be fine. Don't assume that the government is going to come in when things get bad and they're just going to give you or money again. jobs everywhere. Yeah. I was like, oh, I can quit this job and go find another one over here. I was like, you don't build any loyalty. You don't build any skills at that point. You build, don't build any resiliency. It's like, that's one thing. It's like the market is too hot as people are getting too cocky. And there's like, well, I don't need this job. I'm going to go over here. But you're not working on yourself and growing yourself. Same thing with like your your wealth and stuff. Like you're not taking money and putting it into yourself and saving it for a rainy day. You're not taking this time of preparing for the bad times by making yourself more marketable when jobs get tight or you're competing yeah. against five other people. It's like, well, these last five years, this person in a resume, they jump, 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 job, job, to job, to job. It's like they're chasing the money. They're not chasing the lifestyle. They're not chasing the education. They're not chasing the growth. Now, if you these last several years that everyone's been doing that, you might have been doing that too but you've been working on yourself and actually not allowing the market to reward you just because the market just needs a body in that position, but you're actually being better for those jobs. And that's why you land those jobs, not just because the the company. Well, and and you're going to see that issue, especially when the market shifts, let the, let's say things do get really bad. Then you try to go for a job and a company looks at your resume and they're like, you bounce around a lot from job to job. Like, I don't think you're a very stable person for us to hire. And as, well, you know? you, well, as long as, like you say, like that's what I was saying, job to job to job. If you don't have a good reason why you were jumping from job to job to job, it was just like, well, they were paying better. I didn't like this work environment. It's like, no, they needed these set of skills, and I went and worked on them and had them. And that yeah. felt was underappreciated at this company, and I went and developed myself. I took these courses outside of my job. I made myself better. That's why I moved from job to job to job. Right. Like if you can't say that, yeah, to your point, like yeah. you're just you're not loyal and you're chasing money and then you're gonna be liability. We we've even brought this up before where right now you have so many investors that we that we know ourselves that they think that they they're they're full fledged real estate investors. Simply because every deal they've done, they've made money on in the last two years. And it's like everybody's made money in the last two years. 
You know what I mean? Like you, you haven't taken the time to actually understand like, Hey, I've been actually buying pretty risky deals. You know, the only reason I've made money is because the market's been pulling me out. You know, I'm buying deals that I shouldn't have bought at the moment, but yet when I was done with the project, it made sense. Like I, I hear that so much from investors where it's like, they don't understand why they made money. Yes. They, they get into it and, and, and the excuse I hear all the time and it just like, you know, irks me is when people say, well, I just want to buy a, a house to renovate and flip because that's how I learn. You know, I learn by doing like, but you, that makes no goddamn sense. Like, what do you mean you learn by doing? You don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. What are you going to learn? You let's say you did that house, you flipped the house, you made 10 grand. You're like, okay, well, at least I made 10 grand. Well, did you know that you could have made 50? You don't. Yeah. Because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you did wrong. You never spent any time learning the under fundamentals, uh, the underlying fundamentals. You just saw that I made $10,000. Like, yeah, but how did you make $10,000? And like, that's fine. So people like they do learn by doing, but you can't just learn by doing and not try to learn how other people do it. If you're not trying to self-educate about your job and how, because that is your job. Yeah. If you're a full-time real estate investor like we are, it's, we learn by doing every time, but we're asking how other people are doing it. We're in masterminds with other people. We're reading history. We're understanding like what makes this industry tick? How does it work? Why did we get paid what we got paid? Hey, we built a house. And our original ARV went from 275 and we sold it for 330. I was like, why did it go from 275 to 330? It's not because I built a better house. Yeah. It's like, it's because the market appreciated rapidly because of the things that were going on at that time. I'm not now trying to think I'm God's gift and I'm going to try to do that every single time. Well, and then also asking yourself, it went from 275 to 330. How much was I in it for? Like, would I have still made money yeah. if it had sold for two seventy five? Because that that's how you and I. Every time we analyze a deal, is where's the market right now? The market is at two seventy five. Okay, how much do we need? What's the repairs going to be? All of that. We analyze our numbers. If everything stays the same, does this house make sense? Yes. Okay, then we jump in. If it doesn't make sense, if it's something that's like, oh no, we would probably lose some money or, or, or you know, maybe maybe break even. But guess what? You know, by in three months from now, the price could go up another twenty grand. So then we'll be we'll be good because then we'll be in the money. Like no, well, that, that's our, not a deal uh, that you buy. One of our coaches put something in a, a way that I'm just like, I really like that. It's like, well, here's my profit margin. Don't think of it as a profit margin. Think of what's your margin of safety. Of just saying like, hey, I'm in it for my margin of safety is like, I'm going to be in it for 250 and I can sell it for 300. My margin of safety is at 50,000. That's not my profit margin. That's my margin of safety where before I start to dipping yeah. into my reserves and things go backward very quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's like that right there. When they said, when they said that, it was like, I like that. It's like, oh, what's your profit margin? It's like, no, my margin of safety is 10%, 15%. Yeah. Uh, it's this amount. And it's like before I now have to really be like, where do and I that, get this that money? can get wiped with anything a price drop you know interest extra rates days went, on interest the market rates went, interest rates went from four to six and a half in two months yeah and i mean we saw that climbing. and that's how why builders got into so much trouble is because they started building a house and we saw how long it takes to build a house for a lot of builders it's been taking over a year to build a house because of material shortages and stuff like that <laughs> and it's like they were building a house for this homeowner that had gotten a quote for their mortgage at 3%, now all of a sudden their mortgage is going to be 6%. They can no longer afford the house. So now it's like the builders 
halfway done or done with the house and they can't sell it to their buyer because the buyer can't afford it. That buyer. Yeah, that buyer can't afford it. So now they got to go out, but that's a risk because it's kind of like you're building it on a pre-sold, you know, concept that you're like, okay, I'm good. And then you're finished and now you're like, shit, now I got to go look for a buyer. Well, you know, now I got to try to find something. So it's one of those things that, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. What I'm saying is like, those are the possibilities. Well, those are the things that can happen. Well, it's also what I was saying as far as uh, home builders go is they're pulling back because they can almost control their own, almost can like segregate and control their own market. Because after 2008, and it's just the point to like uh, oil and gas exploration and stuff like that, like Dalton talked about, is like, Nobody wanted to be a home builder after 2008 because nobody came and bailed out the, the home builders. Right. So that's why we got so drastically undersupplied of homes where we're not building homes anywhere near at the pace that we need to. And nobody's going out to being a new home builder right now. Yeah. Same thing with like gas and uh, exploration. We're like, you guys need to drill. You guys need to drill. You need to get more oil in this week and bring gas prices down. They're like, no, I'm not going out and spending billions of dollars and all of this stuff when I am your number one punching bag as far as like your climate change initiatives and all these things you're trying to do and you're decreasing subsidies and you're beating i'm not going to go out and spend this i'm trying to survive why would i go out and spend all that stuff to help you out when you turn around and just punch me in the face like that's not going to happen yeah and so home builders are the same way it's like they got beat up in 2008 like these people aren't stupid they run multi-billion dollar some trillion dollar companies because they're smart yeah and they understand how these things go. So, yeah, they're going to pull back because by pulling back now, that means they're not going to get overbuilt again. And yeah. that means that they can survive and whether the next storm of prices go up, they have the balance sheets to withstand that stuff because people still need housing. And it's going to put it on the, the government, create it. The government's going to have to solve it. Now, they're going to have to come out with some stupid stimulus package that they're going to taxpayers are going to have to pay for so people can afford houses again. Big giving big vouchers, 40-year mortgages, changing things around, uh, giving home buyer credits. Maybe it's not first-time home buyer, it's second-time home buyer credits. Uh, whatever it may be, to change the market to where people can fill those things because the home builder's like, I'm just not going to build. Mm -hmm. Or the government tries to step in, that'd be the worst thing, and they try to fill that gap and build. And like then that taxpayer's going to pay for it too because they cannot build houses efficiently. No. They build a house, like, we're going to sell it for 300 It's going to cost them 600 to build it. Yep. And they'll lose money. And where does that go? Taxpayer. Well, so now let's talk about a topic that would help everybody listening. So you hearing us, you're hearing all these things, all these headlines, everything, and you're like, all right, so we might get a recession. It might be bad. It might turn into a depression. It might not turn into a depression. You know, it might tank the housing market. It might not tank the housing for the, market. For the first time, the Fed might actually just create a soft landing and we just ride off into the sun. Yes, and well, everybody will start riding unicorns. So you have I would like to all those. Unicorn. I bet you would. So th those are all the things, right? Uh, these are all the hesitations and everything. So now, as a real estate investor, as somebody getting into the market, what is it that you can do to prepare for whatever is to come, right? So John made a good point where one of the things that we've done with the profits that we've been making is actually reinvest it in our own education, We've joined two coaching groups. One is on mindset and the other one's on real estate. And these coaching groups is to further increase our network with people that have vast amount of resources, people that are in different markets, people that are doing different types of investing and strategies and stuff like that. So what we're doing is preparing ourselves with the network and with the community that we're going to need to weather whatever storm comes about. 
So it's one of those things that we're working on our mindset because when these things happen, this was this was one of the points that PBD brought up that I thought was a really good point. He says, in a cri- when a crisis hits, you have three types of people. One, those who shut down. These are the people that panic, and if they have a business, they shut it down. They 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 don't know what to do. They panic. They freak out. These are the people that don't do anything. Then you have those people that just survive. They just go into survival mode. Maybe they get side hustles, extra job, whatever it is, just to make ends meet. And then your third group are the people who come out of it stronger, right? So what we want you to be is those that come out of it stronger. In order to come out of it stronger, you need to work on yourself. You need to work on your mindset. Your mindset is so crucial right now because the things that are going to happen, they're going to be whipsaw in your head back and forth, and you're not going to know which way is up, where to go if you are reactive to the market. What we are more looking at is how do you be uh, more, what do you call it, where you predict, you anticipate the market more than you react to it. Yeah. You're more proactive, so you're anticipating. You're preparing yourself. The things may not go that bad. It may not happen at all. The market may not crash. Everything might just level off like you're saying. You know, it might level off. Things are going to get a little bit, okay, it's a little slower or whatever, but that's about it. Great. Nothing happens. You are fine either way. But in case it does, are you prepared for that? Are you financially prepared? Is your household prepared? Are your finances prepared? Like, are you, your expenses, the way you manage your your money, the way you invest your money, are you prepared? Your investments, the way you invest, are you ready for that? We've already reached out to some of our buyers. We've gotten a few deals, and they're like, "I don't know. I'm I'm kind of on the sidelines right now. I'm just kind of I'm not sure what's coming. I'm not sure if I want to buy a property right now." They're acting scared. They're worried about what's happening. I don't know if what they're doing is right or wrong, but I think not doing anything isn't the answer either. You know, because this thing is coming whether you like it or not, you know, whatever's going to come. And it's like, if you're not doing anything, you know, I I heard this saying before that's like, if you want everything to stay the same, something's got to change. Because if you don't change, things don't stay the same. They actually get worse. You understand? So if you want things to stay the same, something's got to change. So I don't want you guys to be paralyzed. So what are some things that we are doing besides we got the coaching, we're educating ourselves. What are some things that we're doing that you've been doing, let's say, maybe in the finance department and our operations so we can better prepare for whatever comes down the line? I mean, this is understanding your finances. Like, where does your money go every month? Mm -hmm. Like, where are you spending it? It's like, hey, I have money in the bank account. Yeah, you have money in the bank account, but how quickly do you burn that money? Like, where is it being spent within your business? And it's like, mm, okay, where this is discretionary spending. I could cut my budget by 20% if I needed to. Because, yeah. like, it's one of the things one of the guys that I follow, and one thing he always said, there's like two type of economics environments bad times and preparing for bad times. Right. Like, there is no good times. And it's like, no, when it's good, that's when you should be preparing for the next time around, it gets bad again. Mm-hmm. That's what smart people do. That's what investors do. That's what business owners do. It's like, hmm, hey, things are going, but I'm not going to spend recklessly and go out and buy my fancy Ferrari because I deserve it or show Rolexes because it looks good on Instagram. Right. And and to that point, this is not to say that you guys can't live a luxurious life. By all means, live it if you can afford it. Yeah. Don't buy that expensive vehicle or take that crazy vacation or buy that huge it's, house it's thing, if, you, if you're... You know, if it's going to tap you out or get you pretty close to tapping you out, that's like, 
well, if all this thing, like, you know, if the business slows down, I lose my house. It's like understanding why you make money the way you do. Yeah. It's like, like you said, like, go buy it. If you can afford it and you're like, yeah, I get my money from this source, this source, what kind of value and what's your stability in that, that company? Yeah, we, we like, recently, yesterday, I mean, we did our, our quarterly review, right? We reviewed all our finances. What is our monthly burn rate? What is, you know, what is it that that money is going into? What kind of uh, marketing? What are the marketing channels? And we started analyzing and kind of stress testing. Like, okay, if we lose this marketing channel that's generating this level of revenue, it's like, which other one can we go into? So that's what we've been doing in the good times. In the good times, we've been expanding where I've spoken to so many investors uh, especially recently that they're in direct mail. All they do is direct mail, hundred percent direct mail. Right. And it's like, well, it works. I'm like, until it doesn't, Oh, it's always going to work. <laughs> I'm like, wow. You know, talk about being a gambler. It's always, nothing always works. You know, things work for a certain period of time and then it changes and then it shifts and then it's, it, you know, things work in different ways. So it's like direct mail is working for you. You're killing it right now. Awesome. Why don't you implement SEO? cold calling, text messaging, I mean, anything else to go supplementing that just in case direct mail stops working, you have another avenue that you can tap into. And people are not looking at it that way. This one thing works. It's been working for the last year or so. So I'm only going to do this one thing. And that is it. And those are things that you and I, like we've never done. We do single family right now. What are we getting educated on? Warehousing, Strip center, office buildings, multifamily. We're starting to look at other asset classes because when the market shifts, single family might take a hit, but maybe retail starts picking up. Maybe warehousing is what's picking up. There's always going to, the money's going to go somewhere. It doesn't evaporate. Yeah. And the wealth like, is like money doesn't destroy it. It just changes hands. Exactly. It's going to go somewhere. Like the only thing that destroys wealth is the Federal Reserve taking money off the table. That is money disappearing from the market, and that is coming from somebody's pocket and not going into somebody else's. Right. But if they stop doing that, and all that money they printed out, that four, two, three, four trillion, however many they done spent, is like, if they're only pulling off a hundred billion a month, that's 1.2 billion a year. That means that for the next three years, they would have to keep that pace to take all that money away. They're not going to do that because no. that money and that wealth is changing hands and it's going to go in somebody's pocket. When the stock market has fallen through the floor and it's lost $2 trillion, money didn't disappear. It just went into somebody else's hands and went somewhere else. Well, I even think uh, PVD brought up that point that I found funny. He's like, how crazy it is that as the Fed funds have risen, so has the stock market risen the same way, where it's like most of that money that the Fed print goes straight into the market. A lot of that money goes into the market. So it's like if they start making that money disappear, the market tanks. You know what I mean? The market is propped up by a lot of the money that the Fed has put out into the market. So going back to it, when you come up as a real estate investor and you're looking at your investments... Right now is not the time to take on the speculative investments. Right now is the time for you to be smart. Be, start investing in your education. Start investing in yourself. Make yourself healthy mind and body. You know, like, because what's going to be coming down the line is going to be perhaps very, very stressful for a lot of people. If you don't know how to manage that stress, it's going to consume you. You're going to be one of those people that you're not going to know which way is up at that point. Well, so it comes down to, like, understand where your money comes from. Yeah. And if you do... If you do understand that, if you do prepare yourself and you think about it that way, 
you're going to thrive in whatever comes next. Because guess what? There are The majority of the people are going to panic. The majority of the people are going to struggle. And that's your opportunity. As an investor, you're going to have a lot of motivated homeowners. That's where you can come in and help out these motivated homeowners, figure out what the next steps are for them. You're going to be able to pick up real estate. You're going to be able to do deals. You're going to be able to help investors. Right now, you should be working with your buyers list, building your buyers list, building your connections for when the market shifts, you have a good, strong buyers list that you can depend on. Because most of the buyers that we've been seeing right now that have been outbidding every single project, every single property, they're going to be gone. They don't understand like, They don't understand money and how it comes from. They don't understand why they're getting rewarded for the effort yep. they're putting in. They're pu purely speculative. They bought real estate just because it's going up and it goes up. That's it. That's their only reasoning. That's what the, the analogy is like. Money is made in good times. Wealth is made in bad times. And it's like understanding like where that stuff comes from and who your buyers are and why they're buying and do they know what they're doing? Yeah. How long have they been investing? How many houses have they flipped? Like, oh, they're two, three years. They're just getting started. They're making money. It's like, all right, they're a buyer, but I don't think that buyer is going to be buying when things get bad. Yeah. Because like they, they're they the type of people that are like, oh, I made money, so now let me increase my lifestyle. I'm going to go buy that fancy car because I've made a bunch of money the last two years. And it's like, that is a depreciating asset. That is not a savvy thing to be spending your money on. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely learn. I mean, it, we go back to it. What's going to get you out of this is financial education, financial education, personal education, like in the biggest thing. And I mean, we, we've said this, I don't even know how many times in how many episodes, podcasts, everything we've done. It's all on your network. If you get a quality network, I'm talking about quality, real investors, people that have been, we, we know people that our multimillionaires have been investing in real estate for decades. These people have seen market cycles. They have survived market cycles. They have built massive companies. And you look at the way they come up, the way they build these companies, they're very slow. They're very meticulous. They build a strong foundation. And they're not in the dudes in the three-piece suits. I'll tell you that right they're, now. They're definitely not. <laughs> they're the, the dudes in Crocs and jeans over staying in the corner Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, the two people that we use right now that we rely a lot on on their counsel and everything, I mean, they're short sneakers, T-shirt. Like, that's when you see them. And these guys are dealing with tens of millions of dollars every single month of real estate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're they're doing a lot of volume in, in single family residential, warehousing, multifamily. And they're not the fancy people that you're going to think of. The ones that are pulling up in their Ferraris or their Lambos with their, you know, really skinny jeans and all the bullshit that they wear, right? Like Really skinny? How, how skinny are really skinny jeans? Well, it looks like they're wearing fucking leggings the one, and the, shit. The ones where they jump off a chair to hit the ground and pull <laughs> I haven't paid that much attention, but... The, the <laughs> <laughs> you say really skinny jeans, like, what is that? But but those are the, those are the people that I tend to not listen to. When I see them pull up in a, you know, they're doing a video and they're pulling up in a new car or some shit, trying to flaunt that. And by all means, I'm not hating on them. Like, credit to you that you're, if you can afford that Ferrari, great. Own it. Enjoy the hell out of it. You deserve it. But my problem is these people that they can, they're using borrowed money to buy these things because they haven't built a business. And they're showing you the, the glitz, the glamour of real estate. And it's like, but you have no foundation. Yeah, and we've even seen it recently with one of the local douchebags from here that used to preach real estate, real estate, real estate, and now they're preaching Amazon, Shopify business models 
or whatever the hell it is that you do on Amazon now. And it's like, oh, you get better returns than real estate. I'm like, the hell are you doing? And then like the LLC name is still something about cash buyer, cash home buyer or something. Yeah. Like, like, so, yeah. so you look at that and again, how do you prepare for this? Build a strong network, build yourself. Mindset is everything. Your mindset, how you're going to deal with problems, how you, how do you problem solve? How do you do critical thinking? Do you have a network of people around you that when you want to do a move in your business, you have these people you can bounce these ideas off? Right now, we did our quarterly retreat. We put down a bunch of action items. What are we going to do now? We're going to take all those action items. We're going to break them down into how we're going to implement this. And then we're going to send it to these people. We're going to say, hey, here's where our business is at. Here's where we want to go. What do you think? What are your opinions? And it's not that we're relying on what they tell us to do, but we value their opinions. Yeah. Because these are people that have been in it. Again, 10 plus years, they're making millions of dollars constantly. They have millions in reserve. Like it's not that they're fully leveraged and they have no cash available. No, these people are ready for whatever comes down. Like whatever happens, they got the money. They have the system. They have the people. The knowledge. They have the infrastructure. So it's like, that's the kind of investor I want to be, right? That's the kind of investor that you and I keep working to be is we work a lot on our systems, on our foundations, on our people, our whole crew, everybody that we hire, we, we, we're always taking care of them. If we make more money, they make more money. You know, it, it, we try to create that company culture that no matter what happens, they're looking out for us. We're looking out for them. You know, we try not to make it those just money-hungry cultures that's like, well, if you want, you know, you guys got to hustle, you got to grind, you got to, you know, hashtag blessed and all this nonsense and ring the bell whenever you hit a deal. It's like, no, it's a company culture. It's a, it's about like, do we all click? Do we, or Can we work together? Or do you have to worry about your teammates stealing your deal, stealing your, you know, the, the buyer that you just brought in? Like th those are the things that you got to get away from and you got to go towards building the foundations of your business, right? Anything that you want to add to that? Oh, you just killed it. I just killed it. <laughs> so that was it. And, and if you're listening, give us a thumbs up and subscribe if this is your first time. We also have a, a text community that you can text us anytime. Any questions you have, uh, just text YouTube to 210-794-9898. Um, and we're always there just to answer whatever questions you may have, whatever things, uh, you're dealing with. But right now we are just to give you a little insight to our company retreat. We are growing our marketing channels. So before our marketing channel was pretty much 100% text messaging and cold calling. We're starting to see a shift in text messaging. We're starting to see that it's become a lot more complicated. It's become a lot harder to do. Uh, there's a lot more requirements, restrictions, and everything, certain amount that you can do. We used to do large volumes. I mean, we would send out probably 50,000 text messages a month. So now that's been cut down drastically. But we have grown our SEO side. We've gotten some deals now. We're starting to get deals from our website. We have grown direct. We've done a little bit of direct mail, testing that out, adding that into our features. We've done door hangers where we, we've got these professional door hangers done by uh, Ballpoint Marketing. And they're like handwritten door hangers. And they actually, it's handwritten by a pen, a computer that uses an actual pen. So it doesn't look like ink. It looks pretty cool. Uh, we're testing that out. 
we are we're we're going a little bit heavier also on cold calling itself and what else are we doing we're doing youtube as well we're doing some youtube marketing we're reaching out to our network of wholesalers pay-per-click so we've been taking all of our income all of our profits and reinvesting it in other streams of marketing how else to generate leads right now like i said we've been doing single family in a certain demographic that we were targeting in single family now based on our buyers list we're actually going to expand that out to lower end homes that we are not necessarily interested in but we know buyers that are interested in those lower end homes what that allows us to do is not just wholesale those properties to them but learn what it is that they're doing as well we get to learn how they analyze deals what strategies are they doing? How are they implementing it? Not that we want to do it, but we want to know in case the market shifts and that's where we got to shift into. We got to shift into maybe doing owner finance deals, right? I mean, that, those are the things that we're, we're looking at right now. We have one of our coaches that he does warehouses, multifamily. We started looking into that, right? Because now we have a coach that if we get any deals in that area, we're going to bring it to him and say, hey, we got a warehouse that, you know, this is what you do. Can we partner on it where they can show us how to do it? And that is extra income. That's another system. That's another stream of revenue that we can generate. Because again, our goal is to build an investment company. Our goal is not to wholesale houses. Our goal is not to just look fancy on Instagram. <laughs> like our goal is to build a legit uh, investment company that builds our portfolio, builds our income, builds our cash reserves to the point where we are able to buy all these investments ourselves and keep them for continued cash flow and appreciation. And especially when you have these markets that go on sale, we're able to buy great assets and really grow our, our income and our portfolio. So I hope you guys are taking note and I hope it's helping you. And if you have any questions, like always reach out to us, we're here to help. Um, do y'all, personally answer your text community messages. Yes, Dylan. Uh, I answer them myself. Uh, it's 100% me. And if uh, if there's ever anything that you ask that's uh, related to John Barr, he'll jump on. And But yeah, it's us directly doing it. That's why we did it, uh, just so you can have more of a dialogue with us directly. So you can always ask your questions, whatever it is that you're concerned about, thinking, worried about, uh, strategies, deals. Uh, on there, we also share... Uh, things that we don't typically share to the public because sometimes we don't want these things to be out in the public. Like we've dealt with some shitty buyers and we share that with you guys where you, how you can protect yourself against those things. And we don't necessarily want to share them publicly because those shitty buyers listen to our stuff. Uh, so <laughs> we're not in the business of uh, bashing people online like that, but that that's the point of the community. We it's to help you guys grow is to give you more of a resource and more of a platform where you can definitely reach out and ask questions. He says, I ask because I'm a local realtor in the San Antonio area and would love the opportunity to meet y'all. Yeah, we do. Uh, uh, also, we do property walkthroughs where we send out a text, let you guys know that we're going to be walking one of our projects and you can tag along and you can ask us, you know, how we picked it up, anything about financing, managing contractors, uh, managing the scope of work, the rehab. We cover all of that on the, on these property walkthroughs. If you've been following us for any well, period also, of time. We're, we're hosting a bi-monthly uh, meetups as well. 
starting here in the next couple of months. So I don't I don't know what month it starts. I think it's gonna be the first one's gonna be July. August. August, August I think yeah. is the first uh monthly meetup. We're not sure the location yet or when it's gonna be or anything like that. Uh but as soon as we do, like pay attention to our stuff and we'll we'll definitely post it. It'll be well known uh when we start doing that stuff. We have a monthly a bi monthly mastermind as well, but you have to be a part of uh, the same brokerage that I'm a part of as well. Yeah, so. you you can come in once as a guest, so you can check it out. But that brokerage is a uh, Stepstone Realty. The reason you have to be a part of it because that brokerage is it's not your typical brokerage. They're investor heavy brokerage where mm-hmm. the majority of their investors are all, uh, their agents are all investors. That's what these masterminds are about. We talk about different strategies in the investment realm. We have different speakers. Everybody on there is an agent and an investor. So it's a great community to network, to be a part of. I always tell every agent that wants to be in real estate investing to really consider joining that brokerage. It's the only one of its kind that has the ethics and the morals that you can actually, you know, go behind and and, and work with. So definitely consider checking that out. Uh, and we'll check, follow us on social media on our text community. We'll be letting you guys know exactly when these meetups are going to happen, where, you know, and you guys can definitely join us that way. But we always sit down with investors. We'll always, we love helping you guys out. We love sharing what we know. That's all we do is share our knowledge. Like we're not giving you theories or, you know, hypotheticals. It's just our ex- personal experience with what we're doing, what we're investing in and what's working and not working for us. That's pretty much all we cover. So I hope that helps, Dylan. Um, with that said, uh, if you don't have anything else, I think uh, that's pretty much it for us today. Yeah, I mean, that's really all I got. All right. So as you've seen, we're not doing these very frequently. We're, we kind of wait around for uh, to have more meaningful topics to discuss because you look at headlines, they change all the time. Uh, you know, a lot of it is just clickbait. So we don't want to be wasting your time with things that don't matter. When things matter, we will jump on here and create, you know, do a live. You can jump on, ask us questions, and we'll cover those points. We'll cover everything. But in the meantime, always reach out to us. We're always here to help. And uh, with that, I say good luck to everybody. Hope your investing goes well. And stay educated. Stay educated for sure. And you do that by watching our channel. That's all we do. We share all our strategies on there. We don't hold anything back. So uh, get educated, get knowledge, work on your mindset, work on yourself, and you will do great. So with that being said, thank you all for watching, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.